sorry. Look around, Keith. Uh, oh, goodness. The brethren told me that I ought to share this with you, so I'm going to. It's kind of an uh, irrelevant appendage, but you remember the last time I was up here, I was mentioning Paul's words as the apostle got into uh, the uh, responsibility of the believer to forgive those that offend them or despitefully use them, misrepresent uh, 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 them, etc., etc. And I had mentioned that that had happened to me, an unfortunate incident had happened to me, and uh, I was troubled by it. It was working on me. But then I had occasion to talk to the individual, and I spoke kindly to them, and just it, that thing just lifted off of me just like that. And I thought that was, thank you, Lord, for that. Well, that was Friday. Come Monday morning, I got a gift in the mail from a brother in East Texas that covered the loss. God is faithful. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're looking at the Revelation, and we were in, uh, ended with chapter 9. We're going to begin with chapter 10. And uh, uh, the chapter 9 ended with the second woe. You remember there were three woes that God had pronounced were going to occur on the earth, pardon me, and uh, this ended the second woe, and the 11th chapter is that second woe. Now, I'm not going to try, I don't want to preach this, and so we're going to have kind of a running commentary, and uh, I don't think I need those yet. <coughs> so I'm going to take you to... Um, First of all, chapter 10 and verse 2. And he had, lo, this angel, this mighty angel, um, had a little book in his hand. They opened the book. And uh, I haven't got to that yet where I'm reading. Okay, he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice. There it is again, guys. Boy, it's loud. When a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voice. Now, before I comment on that, this guy is big. You catch that? One foot on the land, another foot on the sea. And I won't get into the details of this, but uh, years ago, I encountered a brother that said to me, uh, Keith, angels are big. They're big. And this guy is big. Uh, we kind of think of them in terms of our size, you know, average height. But All right, I'll go on. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voice, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up. The things that are written, uh, uh, the things that the seven thunders said, and do not write them. 
the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his voice to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all things that are in them and, and the earth and all things that are in them and the seas and all things that are in them, that there should be delay no longer. So we're coming to the point of the sounding of the seventh trumpet. We're right at the end of the sixth trumpet. By the way, I, nasty me, parenthetical. I understand that Ellen White, one of the founders of Seventh-day Adventism, wrote a book on what the seven thunders uttered. The book is sealed. I don't know why it's sealed, but it's sealed. But I don't know how she got her information. Okay. They swore by him and created forever. In verse 7 of, of 10. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Now, understand that in these series of seals, trumpets, and bold judgments, that between the sixth and the seventh, there's always this break. And the break is to give explanation. And there's a break now between these. And that break starts us in chapter 11, by the way, in the next verses, he encourages John, by the eating of this book, sweet in his mouth, sour in his stomach, that he's going to testify again against, now catch this, peoples, nations, tongues, kings, always fourfold. Every time you read it through the scripture, he talks about the always nations, peoples, tongues, kings, or uh, some other terminology, fourfold with the exception of one. And I'm going to come to that momentarily. So chapter 11. Then John was given a measuring reed, measuring rod, I'm sorry, to measure the temple of God, the altar, those who worship therein. That's interesting that God measures his worshipers. But leave, I'll leave that alone. Leave out the court which is outside the temple. Now, by the way, the Greek word temple, uh, the word for temple in the Greek is iron. But this word is nehos, and it refers to the holiest of all. When you make that distinction when you read this, the holiest of all, you remember, was the third compartment in the temple. Outer court, holy place. Holiest of all, where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is Nahas. And do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. Don't, don't measure the outer court. I'm sorry, I don't want to confuse those two. Don't measure the outer court. It's given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy uh, city underfoot. Jerusalem treaded underfoot for 42 months. Now that's... Three and a half years. And when you read this word, uh, phrase, 42 months, it's usually in connection with Gentiles. Whereas in the next phrase, I will give power to my two witnesses 
and they will prophesy 1,260 to 1,260 days. That phrase is applied usually in the case of Jews. So these two witnesses are about to preach, and this is that second woe. You see that when you come to the end of the chapter. So I'll read. These are the two olive trees. This comes, of course, from Zechariah chapter 6. Those of you who are familiar with Zechariah, the two olive trees and the, and, and the uh, oil that's poured into the two lampstands that are before the Lord, he said these are those two olive trees. So this is very Jewish. They're standing before the God of the whole earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Wow, fire out of their mouth. Somebody says, Keith, you believe that's literal? I don't have any reason to believe otherwise. Now, people like to say, you know, they did this. This came up earlier with 144,000 in one book written. Well, it can't be Jews, but God says they're Jews. 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. How can you be more specific than that? And I've told you before, I had an old professor who used to say, I know a lot of people spiritualize portions of Scripture he said, if they're uh, wrong, when they come into the presence of the Lord, what are they going to say? He said, I just preach what God said. And when I come into the presence of the Lord, if he says, I'm wrong, I think he'll forgive me because I can just say, Lord, I, I, I said what you said. It's a good idea, unless you have a specific reason for spiritualizing something to take it the way it's written. Okay, that's free. <laughs> so they have power to shut heaven so that it does not rain in the course of their prophecy, three and a half years. Who did that? Come on, you scholars. Elijah. Elijah, Elijah shut up the heavens for three and a half years. You remember that? contest with the prophets of Baal the three and a half years had come to an end he has this contest with the prophets of Baal and and uh, uh, they built their altar and they went through their cantations cut themselves etc until the offering of the all day long they did that no fire came Elijah restores his altar different altar Restores the altar, walks before the now that they might know that there is a God in Israel. And whew, the fire fell, consumed the altar and all the water that he'd put around. That's another story. I'm sorry, but I had to throw that in. And they had power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all manner of plagues. Who did that? Moses. So who are these guys? Moses and Elijah. You say, how do you know that? 
because Moses and Elijah appeared before every dramatic event in the life of Jesus. Transfiguration. There they are identified, Moses and Elijah. Luke records at his resurrection, two men appeared to the women. Luke's the only one who records that. Luke recorded transfiguration. Luke records here. At the ascension, why stand ye gazing into heaven? Two men said that. Two men. That's what scripture says. Moses and Elijah. Now we got them again. Moses and Elijah. They appear for every major event in the uh, life of Jesus. And they're prophesying. And when they finish their testimony. <coughs> Sorry. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. Now that's a false prophet. He's the one that came out alive, you remember. He'd already been killed and he shows up in Israel. That's Revelation 13. And he makes war against them and overcomes them. God gives, gives him power to overcome them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, there was the great degree to which Israel and Jerusalem had fallen in their abominations before God, their idolatry, their, their uh, offering children, their children in the fire. You know, I call these abortionists today sons and daughters of Moloch. Because that's what the god Moloch did, god of the Ammonites, offering children in the fire to their god. God have mercy. Then those from the people, tribes, tongue, and nation, there's four of them, will see their dead bodies three and a half days dead in the street. They won't allow them to be buried. And those who dwell on the earth are going to have this hellish Christmas. They're going to send gifts one to another. Verse 11, now after three and a half days, you all saying with me? Y'all are awful quiet today. <laughs> after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet. And I thought this is one of the great understatements in the scripture. Great fear fell on all those that saw it. I think so. <laughs> and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. Now, where have we seen that phrase before? Back in chapter 4. Remember? You go from chapter 3, the end of the uh, letters to the churches it opens chapter 4 and uh, John is taken into the third heaven and he and he responds this voice come up here and the temple was opened in heaven that's a, a command for the rapture of the church come up here and that's the last time you see any reference to the church in the earth you see a reference to it in the 24 elders, and that's another subject. That's them. But uh, that's the translation of the church out of the earth. Now, what do you have here? 
This is the translation of the tribulation saints. Now, I know there's a whole lot of guys out there that see this differently. I'm offering that to you. In uh, what I believe to be an obedience to the consistency of the scripture, this is the translation of the church. Arise, come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a what? Cloud. And what have I told you about that before? That is not an atmospheric condition. That is the body of believers. You say, how do you know that, Keith? Because they're so described in Hebrews chapter 12. After chapter 11, and these heroes of the faith are enumerated, chapter 12 opens verse 1. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And by the way, following that, every time you have a resurrection, you have an earthquake. You always have an earthquake. thought that was always interesting. Jesus was raised, there was an earthquake. Uh, believers raised, there's an earthquake. These tribulation saints, there's an earthquake. Because we've come to the end of the tribulation. And these are the last body of believers, not the church. Church is already in the glory. This is the last body of believers out of the tribulation that are caught up unto God and to his throne. You can look at Revelation 14 and verse 1. Hop over there real quickly if I could cheat. Uh, verse 1, Then I looked and behold the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their forehead. They're in the heavenlies. Now some have taught that the 144,000 are evangelists during that period. I do not follow that. The scripture does not say that. You can hold to whatever opinion you believe, but they are caught up to heaven. They do their evangelism in that 42 months. One that 1260 days when they're preaching from the city of Jerusalem. And somebody says, well, that's pretty local. Well, it isn't anymore. I mean, anything goes on in the world is broadcast all over the world. And surely these guys, they are broadcast all over the world. Because the whole world has this hellish Christmas. They're glad they're gone because they tormented the earth dwellers. For 42 months and 1260 days, same period of time. Okay. Labor that enough. Uh, so we have come up here. And uh, uh, verse 14, this is the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Now the third woe is kind of subtly sewn into the scripture. It's not quite announced as do are these. So then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices, everything's loud, loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Now, that's the announcement of the second coming of Christ, but it doesn't come, not here. This is an announcement 
of what's going to. He doesn't come till chapter 19. But this is the announcement of his coming. You had that in chapter 6. When the heavens were opened and men saw, looked into the heavens and cried out for the, mount, uh, the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of him that sits on the throne because the day of his great wrath has come. And who's able to stand? That was an announcement of his coming. You have the same thing here. We'll see it again. In verse 16, the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their feet. That's the church in the heavenlies. Worship God saying, we give thanks, O Lord, God of Almighty. Uh, two pages here. Okay, here you go. Uh, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and have reigned. That's the announcement of what he's doing. The nations were angry. And i got to digress and discuss something else here. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time of the dead that should be judged. And you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. There's a little ecological thing there. And then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of the covenant was seen in his temple. <coughs> Again, that word holiest. And there were lightnings and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. <clears throat> now, all of this is the announcement of his coming. Now I want to point something out. The nations. Uh, let me back up to it here. Verse uh, 18. I ought to put my glasses on. I really should. 18. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. In the time of the dead that they should be judged. Now, you have Old Testament prophecies regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus. One of the grandest, of course, is Zechariah's prophecy. His feet shall touch on the Mount of Olives. He'll come back to the same place from which he went. His feet will touch on the Mount of Olives. He'll pass through, according to Ezekiel, the east gate. And he's going to possess the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. Now, I'm suggesting to you that when these nations are angry, we're looking at uh, Armageddon here in a nutshell. Uh, and they come against him. Jesus is already on his throne. The beast recognizes his kingdom is about to fall and so he mash, uh, uh, mobilizes the armies of the earth. And they come against him in the great day of God Almighty called Armageddon. Because Jesus is on the throne. And therefore, Jesus marshals the hosts of heaven. And they come against the beast. And the beast is destroyed and cast in to the bottomless pit 
a lake of fire, in fact, and alive, take note, cast alive, he and beast and false prophet. That's because they'd already been resurrected. Nobody goes in the lake of fire until they've experienced resurrection. You watch that. That's very important. They get a body, Paul says, fitted for wrath. You know, this body you've got is not fit for wrath. People will say, oh, you couldn't go to hell. You'd burn up in hell. You're not going to burn it, but a different body. We got a body for this world. We're going to have a body for the glory. That's a different body. This body couldn't handle glory. But we're going to get a body like into the body of his glory. Well, just as we get a body fitted for heaven, they get a body fitted for hell. Did I labor that enough? So it's a different body. So you've got to have a resurrection before you uh, uh, see anything of heaven or hell, either one. Okay, I'm going to move on here very quickly. Now, here's one of those breaks. After this uh, declaration of his coming, uh, and the heavens are opened, and, and the, the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant is seen in the heavens, there were lightnings and thunders and earthquake and great hail. Oh, boy, I'm telling you, every time the resurrection. Now, in beginning chapter 12, we have these two chapters, 12 and 13, that are a break between the next judgments, which are the bold judgments announced in chapter 15. So we're quickly, we have an historical review in chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. Uh, now, uh, that's uh, a metaphor, obviously. I think maybe another figure of speech would define that better. A woman clothed with the sun. Uh, that's a natural impossibility, so obviously you're going into a figure. Uh, the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, somebody tell me where that description comes from. Now, come on. Joseph, exactly. That was Joseph's last dream. And he told it to his brethren and to his father. And his father said, Will we, your brothers and your father, bow down to you? Which, of course, they did, didn't they? When finally uh, Jacob comes into Egypt and, I'm sorry, his sons come into Egypt, he reveals himself to them. And they all bowed down to him. So what am I saying with that? This description is Israel. Some have made it Mary, didn't marry. This doesn't follow with Mary. This is Israel. And then being with child. She cried out in labor and pain to give birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. And uh, 
His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Now when Satan rebelled against God and he fell, he drew a third part of the angels with him. So we got a bunch of fallen angels that are doing his bidding, and they work in the area primarily, primarily of politics and national issues. Some had made them demons. Demons are disembodied spirits. Angels have bodies. They don't seek bodies. Demons are disembodied spirits, and when they're cast out, they want a body to live in, and that's why that Gadarean had 5,000 in him that wanted to go in to the pigs. Did I get all that out? And, and I told you before one time, I think I had a professor said he had a whole lot more respect for some pigs than he does for some people because they wouldn't allow it. They went and drowned themselves. Tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour the child before he was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations, no doubt who that is, with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And there's the ascension. Now, I'm going to just offer this as a thought. Some have commented this. It's not me alone. But that that could perhaps include the translation of church in this historical rendering. Because the word caught up, our potso is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians 5, when the church is caught up, same word. I just throw that out to you. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should hold, uh, uh, feed her there, I'm sorry, for 1,260 days, Jewish. Now, um, there are many who have suggested this place prepared is the United States. See another reason for that. But historically, prepared by God for 1260 days. <clears throat> and then in this narrative, I'm trying to get all this in, war broke out in heaven. Now, who started the war? No, Michael. Okay, it's, it's like. God said to Michael, oh, it's enough. Get this guy out of here. You know. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels. And uh, surprise, surprise, they did not prevail. Nor was a place found them anymore in heaven. Now, Satan has had a place in heaven he could call his own. Uh, talk to Job about that. So the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, that's all of his names, four names, who deceives the whole world. He was cast into the earth and the angels were cast out with him. You remember Jesus' words? This is the day of salvation. This day shall Satan be cast out. John 12, 31, look it up. 
When Christ died on the cross, that was the end of Satan's rule in heaven. He was cast out into the earth. Uh, remember Peter talks about that. I think we sang it a moment ago. The devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's down here just wandering around looking around for somebody he can devour. Take heed to that, saint. I mean, you're, there's a target on your back. And the snake is after you. I don't care who you are. And the things that happen to you in this world, sometimes you wonder, Lord, are you really there? That's why I love that song, Dingle Sings. Dingle, get that name right? Dangle. Dingle, dangle, dangle. Anyhow, it's good. It's good. Uh, yeah, you say, Lord, but I feel, you say I'm loved, I don't feel loved. It's, it's a great song. It makes us recognize that how we feel and what we're going through has absolutely nothing to do with your place in the heavens before the Lord. You have a seat in the heavens. That's what you have in these 24 elders a seat in the heavens. You are reigning with Christ in the heavenlies. And that can't be changed, regardless of what you go through in this earth. And I told it to your brother the other day, it doesn't make any difference what God allows to happen to me or what God might do to me. Hadn't changed the thing. I am his. He is mine. Uh, I love the Song of Solomon. You got yet three stages. I got to say this. I know I'm wondering. First stage in Song of Solomon's approach, uh, the Shunammite girl in her love relationship with the shepherd whom she doesn't know yet is really Solomon. That's another story. Um, and, and she said, my beloved is mine and I am his. That, that's wonderful, but it kind of puts yourself first. Doesn't it? Her second stage is, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Put him first. Third stage. Sorry. I am my beloved's. His desire is toward me. It's all him. It's all him. That's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, I got to get on with this. So the dragon, first night was cast out into the earth, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Uh, his angels were cast out with him, and then I saw, I heard, I'm sorry, a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength, the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ uh, have come because the accuser of the brethren is cast out, and he's cast out into the earth. Uh, he accused us before God day and night. Doesn't mean he stopped doing that, but now he's cast out. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's how you overcome, saints. By the blood of the Lamb. That's the first thing. 
No blood of the lamb applied, no relationship with the Lord. Blood of the lamb applied. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Who knows what we might experience coming up. I tell you, this sometimes I think this nation going to hell in a handbasket, but God is running things. And in that we have a confidence. So rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Here's your third woe. Woe to them who are the inhabitants of the earth. And the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. And he doesn't save 42 months, 1260 days here. He just knows he has a short time because it isn't defined. He's been down here all this time, just walking about as a roaring lion. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman again? Israel, who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. And again, some people believe that's the United States. I don't know. But she is given, obviously it's metaphorical, uh, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Now remember back in chapter uh, verse 6, a place prepared by God. God did it. That's why I, I thrill at the idea. God really gave birth to this nation. He really did. That's another story. So her place is prepared. Now she goes to that place in verse 14 where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. That's another Jewish expression. That's the one that Daniel uses. You remember when he makes the distinction between the two halves of Daniel's 70th week. Time, times, and half a time, two and a half years. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth uh, like a flood. And that's usually used in the Psalms of the Old Testament as an expression of nations. Uh, God, the voice of the Lord is mightier than the noise of many waters. That expression is used to address nations. This flood out of his mouth uh, after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood, but the earth, the land. Uh, the word is land. It's a, a, a reference used of the nation of Israel. The land helped the woman. Opened its mouth, swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Now, I can't define that. I just know what the figure means. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Now, in verse 14, you have this remnant of Israel secured in her place in the wilderness, safely secured. That's important. But now in 17, he goes after the remnant of her seed. Who is that? That's you. You're the ones who have the testimony of Jesus. 
Israel didn't. They're not converted yet. So they're just hidden away until they get converted. Because God still loves them. They're his people. But the snake, because he can't get to Israel, comes after the believer. Now this isn't the church. These are tribulation saints. But understand, you're in that category. Satan hates you. So he likes to make war with the remnant of her seed. You say, what does that her seed mean? That goes all the way back to Abraham. And you remember in the covenant that God made with Abraham, he said, and you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And that, of course, is the seed of Abraham, as Paul talks about in Galatians 3 and 4, is who? seed of Abraham is Isaac and out of Isaac came Jesus you all are afraid of me I can tell that okay I'm trying to get on with this uh, chapter 13 you have uh, the description of this beast that comes out of the earth we know him the Antichrist the second part of it from verse 11 on is the false prophet. I'm not going to labor this. But I want to point out one thing in chapter 13 and verse 7. And the beast was angered uh, and he went to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given over Every given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Only three. Wow. Why only three? Because the people are secured in their place. So they're not here. He doesn't have authority to diminish Israel, to destroy Israel. Only three are mentioned. So, authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, not people, not kings, and all who dwell on the earth will worship this beast whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, I think this is entering this phrase, slain from the foundation of the world. When are you chosen? From before the foundation of the world. The church is unique. It's chosen in him from before the foundation of the world. These are chosen in him from the foundation of the world. That same statement is used of the nations, for example. Okay, I've labored that enough. Uh, I'm going to hop you over to chapter 14. I got a few minutes. 14, I've read it already. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunders. And I heard the sound of harps being played and they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before 
the living creatures, the four living creatures, before the elders who are sitting on those 24 thrones, that's the church, uh, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. They are the first fruit of uh, the nation of Israel unto God. Get over to verse 4 and you read that. Uh, These follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These are redeemed from among men, being a first fruit unto God and the Lamb. They are the first fruit out of Israel. The rest of Israel comes. Ezekiel, the last chapters of his prophecy, 40 and on, deal with the rebuilding of the temple, the restoration of all 12 tribes. Okay, verse... uh, Six, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, all four of them. Now, you remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, I think it's about verse 14. This gospel of the, come on kingdom this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations and then the end shall come now he said that just before he started to talk about the abomination of desolation spoken about Daniel the prophet so just before the end of things this proclamation is going to go forth through all the world out of the mouth of an angel. So I know I'm for missions. Uh, Bless God for every one of those whom God has touched to go into every part of the world. I tried it. He wouldn't let me go. I'm too stupid. I wouldn't get along with other nations at all. But he sent all these people around the world and And even he's opening the hearts of some who've never heard the gospel with a witness of the Lord Jesus. That's another subject too. So I believe that gospel is going forth. But in the finality, this gospel of the kingdom, not of the grace of God, but this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all nations. And then the end shall come. And here it is. I saw an angel flying through the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. <coughs> Going all the way back to Abraham. To preach to those who dwell on the earth, earth dwellers, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, now here's what they were preaching, or he was preaching, the angel. Fear God, give glory to him, For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Verse 9, then the third angel sounded. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, Worship, 
I'm sorry. With a loud voice, if anyone worshipeth the beast and his image and receive his mark on their forehead, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength, without mixture, into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire. Wow. And brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You remember Paul talks about that in Romans 2, that cup, well, Romans 1, I'm sorry, that cup of iniquity which the world is filling up, and people say to you, look at all this awful stuff that's going on in the world. If there's really a God, why doesn't he do something? That's because he's letting the world fill up its cup of wrath. Now, you wouldn't want them to get half their judgment, would you? You'd want them to get the whole thing. I mean, the whole ball of wax. So he's letting them fill up their cup of wrath. And the smoke, verse 11, of their torment ascended forever and ever. Oh, hell couldn't be eternal. Could it? The smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Okay, now I got, I know I'm at the end of my rope, but I'm going to hang myself. I want you to skip down chapter 14, verse 14. I'll get this, so next time I get to be up here, I can deal with the bold judgment, so I want to get this. Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud one sitting like the Son of Man. Now, who is he? Now, I did a little struggling with this because an angel is giving a command to him, and, and that didn't set well with me until I realized what the angel was doing was announcing a time schedule. That's another matter. One setting, he's called the Son of Man in chapter 1, Jesus. In chapter 1, is called the Son of Man. He's called the Son of Man repeatedly in Luke's gospel. One like the Son of Man, having his head a golden crown, Stephanos, really, because he is the victor. And in his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The end of the time schedule. It's time for you to reap. Well, who reaps believers? Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Can you remember the parables of Matthew 13? Let's catch up. The, the reapers are the angels, and they're coming in and harvesting the earth, which is going to get, according to uh, the parable of tares, is going to get cast into the fire. He who sat on the cloud, thrust in his circle, and the earth was reaped. Now, next verse. Then another angel an Allah's angel, another of the same kind, came out of the temple which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, thought that was interesting, 
And he said with a loud voice, Thrust in thy sickle, and to the, to the angel that had the sharp sickle, I'm sorry, cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, if the first angel reaped the earth, and now this angel's come to reap the earth, there's got to be a difference between the two. The first angel reaped believers. It was the Son of Man who reaped. This second angel is an angel who is now reaping the earth for the unbelievers. And so the angel, 19, y'all out there. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The angels reaped the unbelievers of the earth, threw them into the winepress of the wrath of God. And by the way, Isaiah said that he tread, Jesus treads that winepress alone. So in the next verse, who's the one treading the winepress? And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress unto the horse's bridles to a thousand six hundred furlongs. Now, if you calculate a furlong, you got a little bit of latitude there, but between 180 and 200 miles, depending on whose book you're reading. But it's about 180 plus miles. The depth of the horse's bridles? Think of that carnage when Jesus treads the wine press. That's when, that's Armageddon. That's when he comes to destroy these. And we'll get that when we get these next chapters. But he treads the wine press. Those nations that come against him with their armies, they come by the millions. You remember we had already noted when the river Euphrates was dried up to make a way for the kings of the east. And it was 200 million. That's a heap of an army. Probably a lot of others involved as well. So Jesus is the one treading the wine press. And we have this horrendous uh, mass of blood. And in one place the angels said, you're just because uh, you've shed the blood of the saints and therefore you give them blood to drink. That's another point too. I got to quit. Take that distinction. That's important. All right. Now, uh, you've got the end of the third Woe, and now we're coming to the bold judgments in chapter 15. I'm going to stop. Be at ease. You're coming to the bold judgments, and they're going to be the end of the wrath of God upon the earth.
And there'll be a break between the sixth and the seventh bowl judgment. We'll see that when we come to it. I got to ask, have I confused all of you totally? Questions, comments, rebukes, admonitions, exhortations? Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Thank you that you've sealed your servants with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. Thank you, our Father, for our anticipation of the hope that's set before us. Blessed be your holy name, our Father. Amen, amen, amen. Bless you all, bless you all.